Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Michelle, and I'll be reading today's scripture for us. Uh, today's scripture comes from John chapter 4, verses 27 to 34. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or what are you talking with her? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Amen. And now I invite you to please give your full attention to the preaching of God's word. Thanks be to God. Thank you to Michelle. Great to be with you, CCSE. And thank you, my brother, Jung. I don't think he's a terrible public speaker at all. I'm so glad that I met Jung uh, much later in life because I went on many, many short-term trips, especially as a college student. And I did a lot of body worship, singing and dancing. And it harkened me back to one day in, uh, I think it was Oaxaca, Mexico. We had a huge festival. And uh, for some reason, I guess maybe I situated myself front and center of the body worship dance routine. And then our director, this gal, just politely said, hey, you, you, it's me. Go over there. Move over there. And she kept moving me. I was in the back corner by the end of that rehearsal. Um, Jung, I'm glad you didn't have to criticize or judge me back then. But um, all the things that we do, I want to let you know, uh, we sent our finest and our best to Singapore, to Indonesia, the Noms are back. Our missionaries are an incredible, incredible called people of God. But I want to thank Daniel and Jung for the uh, incredible comfort and encouragement they brought. It was such a joy to be with them and to fellowship with our missionaries. All right, well, we're on part three now, the vision and the mission. Vision and the mission. Our vision our vision is that God would change each and every person into the full likeness or the beautiful resemblance of Jesus Christ. That's our vision. And just by way of review, we have three mission pillars or three legs of how we are going to realize or experience that vision. Number one was to center Christ, was to believe in him, behold him, because as you behold him, you become like him. So that first slide, mission number one, believe, behold, center him. Mission number two, in order to be changed into the full likeness of Jesus Christ, you and I have to rub up against his people. People have to bring some kind of sometimes tensions and frictions and frustrations along with all the love and joys. We ought to be corrected. We ought to be able to confess sins and to be prayed for one another. You and I aren't going to make it into becoming more like Jesus unless we belong to his people. Now we're at number three. Mission number three, compassion. Compassion. Believe in Jesus. Belong to his people. Number three, bless the world with his compassion. Well, this episode in John chapter four has it all. A Samaritan woman 
her life is utterly changed because she comes to believe in Jesus as the Christ. So therefore, she runs back into community in the town. Now, mind you, earlier in John chapter 4, she had come to draw water at the hardest, hottest part of the day, noon, when other townspeople wouldn't be there because for her to run back into community took a lot of courage. It took a lot of risk because this community had been scandalizing her, backbiting, hurting, treacherous, isolating her because of her lifestyle and reputation. So here's a woman whose life is changed because she meets and comes to believe in Jesus as the Christ. <clears throat> so therefore, she runs back into community, even a community that was previously hurtful to her. There were reports when revival broke out in Ireland that the prostitutes started to come back to church. Prostitutes in Ireland went back to church. And when asked, why and how are you going back to church? One person said, well, the men no longer spit on us. Revival, the spirit of God. Oh, it brings us back into community. But last but not least, look at the woman here. She has a story to tell. She has a new mission in life. To share about what Jesus did for her because of irrepressible compassion. Christ, community, today. Compassion. Now, the Samaritan woman is the last person you would expect. By gender, ethnicity, religion, morality, class. But she becomes the first to act like Jesus. In the Gospel of John, the last person you expect to act like Jesus, to become like Jesus, would be the Samaritan woman, but she is the one. She becomes the first missionary in this entire Gospel. So, couple lessons, just two. Two for us on compassion. Number one, compassion is better than consumption. Compassion is much better than consumption. You see, our passage that Michelle read, starting in verse 27, it begins with incredulity. It's just complete, utter shock and disbelief. The disciples had gone away to go get food, refreshment on a long, hot day. And the disciples, much like us, want to serve as advisors or, you know, consultants, even critics, for Jesus. You know, the disciples actually kind of wanted to tell Jesus what he should do rather than Jesus telling them what they should do. And Apostle John in this gospel records, they were thinking it, they were all thinking it. Of course, John was thinking it, but they didn't say it aloud. But they were thinking, <clears throat> what are you doing, Jesus? Why are you talking with her? A Samaritan woman at that with who? Why? What? What are you doing, Jesus, with your time? You see, the disciples thought this wasn't kosher. It wasn't strategic. In fact, plainly, it was just a waste of time. So this is a story of stunning compassion on the part of Jesus for the Samaritan woman. 
but also it's a story that serves as a humorous critique of the disciples of Jesus. You see, once again, the disciples had gone away to go get food. That's a good act. They had gone on a hot, long day, and then they come back in verse 31, and they urge Jesus, you should eat. Verse 32, in cryptic Jesus speak, that's what I'll call it. Jesus says a lot of things sometimes that's just complete code, like people don't understand what he's talking about. Verse 31, the disciples urge Jesus to eat. Here, we came back with food. Verse 32, Jesus says, but I already ate. <laughs> and then in verse 33, completely lost, the disciples say, who got him food? And then we read this in verse 34. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, his disciples, my food is to do the will of him, God, who sent me, and to accomplish his work. The food of Jesus Christ is to discern the will of God and to accomplish or fulfill his work. In other words, his food is not to consume, but to be consumed by the will and the work of God. Jesus came not for gain, but to be given away. The food of the gods, literally, if you would say, the food of the God-man, Jesus Christ, is not for success, but to be spent for the kingdom. And this is much better food. There is much better food to be eaten there is much better food in life than to just go on being a consumer. But rather, it's for you to be consumed in compassion. To be consumed in compassion. Look at for Jesus how much better this is. He uh, doesn't eat. He's sustained and fulfilled by another kind of food. The disciples say, you should eat, eat, eat. Rabbi, eat. Who got him food? Jesus says, um, I have another food. I already ate. Look at those Samaritan woman. Compassion is better than anything else. It's better than anything else she had previously experienced. Once she tastes and receives love from the God man, the man, Jesus Christ, it says she left her water pot behind. It's a hot day. There's full cool, replenishing water to be drawn. But she forgets about her usual daily concerns. She leaves her water pot. And also we can safely assume, once she has tasted and received living water, which is the life and the love of Jesus Christ, we can safely assume she left a life of living for men, needing them so desperately to live. Compassion is better than consumption. I want to point us to Isaiah chapter 58, verses 10 and 11. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as a noonday. 
And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you should be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. How is compassion better than consumption? According to the prophet Isaiah, this is how you grow strong. This is how you are replenished. This is how you become a person whose waters actually do not fail. Jesus gets it. The Samaritan woman gets it. But the last group of people who get it, that compassion is better than consumption, are his male disciples. It's his disciples. Now, listen with me. What did the disciples lack most? Think about that with me. If you were a disciple of Jesus Christ, one of the 12, what are you missing? It's beyond argument, right? The greatest of all time, Bible preacher, teacher, exegete, applier, they had him. Okay, up close, like every day. What were they missing? They had perfect care, perfect counsel, perfect prayers, and a perfect model and example. So again, what were they missing? What did the disciples lack most? Here's what they were missing. They really didn't need Jesus to pay more attention to them. They needed to pay much more attention to what Jesus pays attention to. The followers, the earliest believers of Jesus Christ really didn't need Jesus to pay more attention to them, but they needed to pay a lot more energy attention to what Jesus was paying attention to. Because if you read the following verses, Jesus calls it the harvest field. He said, look at the harvest field. Can I translate that? It was his field of dreams. Yeah, Kevin Costner, the baseball movie. Build it and they will come. But this is the field of dreams for Jesus Christ. And what is his field of dreams? That the lost and the least, the poor and the suffering, Samaritan women who've gone through all kinds of failed relationships, the unchurched and the dechurched, or never would go to church in your family, in your relatives, and friends, and co-workers. And all the entire world over, Jesus wants his people to pay more, more attention to that. To pay much more attention to those who have yet to believe than ourselves. You know, in Mark chapter 6, a very similar situation. It says Jesus saw the great crowd when he came back ashore and he felt great compassion. That word in the Greek is your inner being is just turned over like your guts, your organs are moved. Jesus felt great compassion on the crowd because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And it was late in the day. And again, yes, they were beaten down and worn down and they were wearied. 
And his disciples come up to Jesus and they tell them this verbatim. Jesus, send them away to buy themselves something to eat. But then in verse 37 of Mark chapter 6, Jesus comes back and says this. You, you give them something to eat. Jesus, why don't you send the crowds away so they can go take care of themselves? So that they can go buy themselves something to eat. Jesus responds with, you. Not someone else, my friends, this morning. Not someone next to you, in front of you, or behind you. Or not someone maybe you were thinking about, oh, why isn't this so-and-so at church today? No, you. You. Not someone better. Not someone more gifted or experienced in your mind. You. Not later. No, you. You give them something to eat. Have you ever heard Jesus calling? You. You. In the movie The Departed, after another surveillance debacle of law enforcement, uh, Mark Wahlberg's character screams at this other guy. I'm the guy doing his job. You must be the other guy. That is a hilarious for me one-liner. I'm the guy doing his job. You must be the other guy. And I wonder sometimes, aside from the humor, could Jesus be saying that a lot of times to the American church? You, you give them something to eat. Compassion is better than consumption. This is how you grow strong. This is how you feel satisfaction. This is how you become a replenishing source of living water. This is actually how you become like Christ when you act like Christ, according to Isaiah chapter 58. Oh, how about churches? How about for CCSC? How does a church become healthy and strong? How does a church grow? No, I'm not talking about numbers, but grow in Christ likeness. Well, certainly, my friend, it takes you. Every single member, you. Every single Christian person in this room, you. You, not someone else. You. And imagine if every single member, follower, believer of Jesus Christ just did his or her part. How replenishing and how strong and how amazing the work of Jesus Christ would become through the church and not just weighed down upon a disproportionate few. Lesson number one, compassion is much better than consumption. Lesson number two, and we're done. We're done for today, that's it. Conversion, conversion produces better compassion. Look at verse 29. Here's what the woman runs back into community with irrepressible compassion. Here's her story. Here's her message. Come, 
see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now, what is it that Jesus told about this woman in terms of all that she ever did? Oh, it was her uh, romantic, relational, marital, marital failure after failure after failure after failure after failure. I got to count it. It's five times. And then Jesus exposes you're living with uh, another man now. Conversion produces better compassion because now the story she goes out with is, come see a man who told me about all my repeated relational, marital, romantic meltdowns and my ongoing sexual shame. How in the world could she be excited about that? How do you become courageous to share a story like that? Well, look at this verse. He told me everything I ever did. Well, first and foremost, it's because of truth. You know, I'd venture to guess uh, this woman, after six men, finally met a man who really knows her. Doesn't pretend, isn't ignorant, isn't naive, doesn't try to avoid pain and conflict for his own sake, but a man who sees her all the way through and through. He told me everything that I ever did. The Samaritan woman was taken over by truth. She was struck and convicted by truth. The truth that this man, Jesus Christ, had to offer to her. But then she ends by saying, can this be the Christ? Why would she even wonder that? Christ means Messiah, Savior, hero to come, deliverer. Here's a man who told me everything that I ever did. Isolating, treacherous, shameful, disreputable. But can this be the Christ? Why would she say that? Well, it's because as Jesus exposed and told her everything that she did, she felt no condemnation. She felt zero condemnation. She felt no judgment. Instead, total acceptance. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. I'm convicted by truth. Can this be the Christ? But I'm covered by saving grace. Come. Please come. Come see and meet this man who gives me truth. But then pours, showers down upon me, covers me with amazing and saving grace. You know, it's a mark of genuine conversion. It is a mark that you are genuinely converted. You are a Christian today that you can go and tell people all the things you ever did. It's a mark of the Samaritan woman's conversion that she can love and almost advertise about everything she's ever done. 
Oh. Love life-changing relationships until someone really knows you, really knows you. Not when you're performing, not when you're on work, not when you're on call, not when you're presenting a certain face. Like really knows you. Every day in and out for like over 20 years. Mm? Until someone really sees and knows you, that relationship still is superficial. Right? Surface level. You present certain parts you want to present. Other parts you just keep behind. And you've heard of this thing called imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. And as long as someone else really doesn't know you, that relationship won't be that exhilarating and life-changing. Because you need a lot more truth. You need truth. And in fact, if other people who say some things or misunderstand or misrepresent or misaccuse you, it hurts, but it still it should hurt less because, you know, that other person doesn't really know you. That person needs truth. We all need truth. We all need truth in loving relationships. On the other hand, if anything you say or do will be again, used against you, the other person keeps a record of wrongs from significant to the most petty and stupid. The other person just keeps a catalog of everything that you fail at. I would also know that love, that relationship won't last because you need grace. You need grace. Here's what a relationship with Jesus feels like. When you come to Jesus, he sees and knows everything about you. He knows your family history. He knows your immigration dynamics. He knows your intergenerational conflicts. He knows your traumas. He knows your secrets. He knows all your closets. He knows all your darkness. He sees and knows you like no one else could ever know you. And then he knows what you do with your pain or your loneliness or your trauma or your defensiveness and shame, not only for the fifth time, but the 500th time. This Jesus, who happens to be God, if you want to get into a relationship with him, he'll give you truth because he has it with you. Oh, but if that Jesus Christ would not give you grace, no one could take it. No one will last. There's nobody here who would survive. You'd be utterly undone and crushed. But do you see how this Jesus does not condemn the Samaritan woman? Because Jesus came to be condemned for her instead. Do you know how you can be known and know Jesus Christ this day? Do you know how you can get past all the barriers and unbelief and inhibitions and dread? It's because this Jesus, who can and does know everything about you, will love you whole anyway. This Jesus, who knows everything about you more than you even know about yourself, will cover you with saving grace anyway. Let me apply this. I keep going back to Alcoholics Anonymous or these kind of small group dynamics. I think the church has a lot to learn from her. 
the only sins you and I are going to overcome, like really, really like that messy, ugly, dark stuff in your life, the only stuff you're going to unwind and undo and unheal are the sins you confess but are forgiven for. The only struggles you're really going to put to death, the only ones you're going to grow out of, you're going to heal from, are the ones you confess because you've been convicted by truth, but you're forgiven for by grace. Grace from God, and maybe grace from his people if you need it. And when this gospel combustion happens, you know, I would talk about truth and grace. Jesus was full of truth and grace, uncompromising in either. But when that gospel dynamic or combustion happens in anyone's life, it, it produces a better kind of person through and through. It produces a better kind of compassion and it's a better kind of person and a better kind of compassion to bless the world. If you read the rest of John chapter 4, verses 39 to 42, all these conversions start happening now. You see, initially, Jesus had gone out of his way to meet the Samaritan woman. But by the end of the story, now all these people in town were coming out of their way to meet with Jesus because of the Samaritan woman. Conversion, conversion produces better compassion. And her compassion is courageous and compelling. It's both. Courageous, courageous. Comes to you a man who told me everything that I ever did. How is she so courageous? Because she's not after polling numbers. She doesn't care how many people like her. She doesn't really compute if people will approve of her. She's not concerned if people will respond to her. She is really way past the point of, will people smile and like me after I tell them about a guy who told me everything that I ever did? No. She's courageous because the truth has gotten a hold of her. Truth with a capital T. A truth has healed and changed her. So with that truth, she goes out. Capital T, objective, universal, eternal, truth. Here's a man who told me everything I ever did. I've got a message to tell. But then combined with that, can this be the Christ? Can this be the Messiah? Here's a man who told me about all my broken relationships, all my shame and failures. But I want to tell you about it because I'm no longer so ashamed about it. Because I met a man who covered me with saving grace. Truth and grace. Truth and grace. And this is what makes her evangelism. Hmm? Her missionary message. Her new mission in life. Courageous and compelling. I remember in a missions class at Princeton Theological Seminary back in the day, the whole tenor, the culture, and the content of the class was veering heavily toward how the history of Christian missions has been just stained by arrogance and superiority complexes and 
these crusading white cultural imperialists. That happened, and of course it's still happening now, to be sure. But what about the missionaries who died on the missions field? You know, there are many missionaries who died on the mission field, beginning with white Presbyterian missionaries who first landed in Pyongyang, Korea. I really don't think you die for people because you feel better than them. I don't think you would ever die for people because you have to power control or fame or approval. I think you only end up dying for people because your heart is bursting with compassion. What about the Samaritan woman, the first effective missionary in the Gospel of John? Do you honestly think she felt better than people? Do you think she came across as superior than other people? No, every psychological record or assessment would have been, she's rock bottom at self-esteem. She had very, she had no self-esteem to begin with. But what is she doing then? Why is she so courageous? Why is she so compelling? Why is she so contagious? Come see a man who told me all that I ever did, but he loves me anyway. Oh, church. Oh, church. Until you unleash and share and show the compassion that has been poured out upon you in Jesus Christ, you will most likely not become more like Jesus Christ. Truth be told, you and I are all going to die in our sins. I'm sorry to say that, but we are. Every single one, the wages of sin is death. There's a holy judgment coming. Every single sin will be accounted for. That's the truth. That's just truth. Everyone in this room, starting with me, will have to take, be accounted for, take responsibility for. But here's grace. If you want it, Jesus died for all your sins. Truth, I'm going to die in my sins, but the grace of God in the gospel, Jesus died for all my sins, all your sins. So please come see about this man. Please come and behold and believe in him as the Christ. Belong to his people and bless the world with his compassion. And when you do so, you're going to start to feel full. Finally, finally, you're going to start to feel satisfied, strong, vibrant, and full, and replenished. Why would that be the case? Because you're acting like and becoming like Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this word. We thank you for your spirit. And I pray that if there are anyone in this room who needs to come and believe in Jesus as the Christ, to forgive, to love, to fill our lives. Lord, would you make that happen this day? And I pray, oh Lord, you would call and change lives continually of CCSE that we might resemble more and more of you, that we might act and bless and be given away in compassion more like you. Oh, hear us, we pray this day as we respond in our prayers and our songs. In Jesus' name, amen.